13 years ago last month, Rochelle and I traveled down to Gainesville for the first time for an interview uh, weekend like no other. Weeks ahead of that interview, I had received detailed instructions for what I was to pre prepare for that. Two adult education experiences, a worship service, a support group, and then I was supposed to do a one-on-one -on -one counseling session for someone while the search committee watched, which was as awkward as it sounds. <laughs> and in between each piece, there would be questions about that part of ministry. All of this was happening over the course of one marathon Saturday from like 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. By lunchtime, I had knocked out the adult ed stuff, seminars and small groups, and I thought it went pretty well. The youngest member of the search committee, about Rochelle and my age, uh, and her boyfriend were asked to take us out to lunch. And I don't remember exactly how it happened or what I, what I said in particular, Maybe I said something about my church up here marching in the pride parade or made some offhanded joke about fundamentalism or whatever, but at some point, the woman on the search committee said, you should say that when we get back in the room. The that being something about being a progressive Christian or like my commitment to being open and affirming or being open to people's different religious beliefs. Something, something I took as obvious as fundamental, but the woman from the search committee let me know that I had failed to communicate it so far. I was coming from Chicago. Every church I'd ever been a part of as an adult was progressive and inclusive. I knew the record of that church in Gainesville, one of the first 100 ONA churches in our denomination. They made that commitment way back in 1992. I'd taken for granted that we, that we all shared those basics, but that young couple helped me understand I was now at what they call the end of the South. The religious landscape down there was different. The church was basically the only progressive community for 100 miles in any direction. So it didn't go without saying. It needed to be said. So after lunch, as the committee was inviting me to start the one-on-one -on -one counseling session in front of them, I asked for a timeout. And I laid it all out there for them to make sure they knew. All, all of the commitments I had assumed that we shared, all of the tenets I had taken for granted, all of the obvious things I didn't think I needed to say. And it was clear in that moment, as the whole feeling in the room changed, that they had needed to hear them. Today we are saying trans. We're saying unequivocally that trans people are beloved children of God. Today we're saying transphobia. And we're stating what should be obvious, that the laws passed around the country to deny gender-affirming care to trans people, and especially trans kids and teens, those laws are evil, and they are deadly, and they must be defeated. And it's preaching to the choir, I, I know. This whole theme might be preaching to the choir. Maybe we should have called it preaching to the choir. But sometimes we have to preach to the choir. Sometimes we have to state the obvious when speech is being censored and outlawed. The truth can't go unsaid between us. 
When there are so many unsafe spaces, we cannot assume that anyone will know that this place is safe. We have to speak safe space into existence, especially safe religious place, because as you already know, choir, so much violence has been done and is being done by the church. We have a responsibility to tell the truth plainly, to lay it out there and make sure people know. Which makes this kind of a strange sermon. Maybe you were already thinking that. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> I've struggled with it this week because a sermon is supposed to have a, like a problem to solve or, or a question to answer. That's what hooks you, hopefully, and keeps you listening through the whole thing. I don't know what will keep you listening today, but I, I don't want there to be any question in this sermon. I don't want to suggest that there's any problem in need of solving. In the first draft of this sermon, I wrote it in response to like lies that some people tell in God's name about trans people. I don't want to give any airtime to those lies. There are too many places where lies are being told. I just want to tell the truth to you this morning. I want to share one truth that I've learned from trans siblings in the body of Christ, not the only truth, but an important one, one that I think applies to all people of faith, but which I've seen trans siblings model in a particular way. And that truth is this, that the spiritual life is about listening deeply to whom God has created us to be and holding to that vision no matter what anyone else may say or think. It's about becoming most fully ourselves, whatever that may mean and wherever it may lead us. Howard Thurman calls it listening for the sound of the genuine in that speech that we started with, if, if you were here at the very beginning. <laughs> there is something in every one of you that waits, listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. And if you cannot hear it, you will never find whatever it is for which you are searching. And if you hear it and then do not follow it, it was better that you had never been born. Paul in 1 Corinthians says it's like being a seed. At first he's talking about death and resurrection, but then he makes it more general. We, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. Like a seed sown in the ground, something lifeless that springs to life, something that is totally transformed and is also what it has always been. That plant awaiting in promise within, it's already there inside the seed. So without a problem or a question for this sermon, I went kind of deep on seed anatomy and germination this week, uh, which with apologies means you are gonna go kind of deep on seed anatomy and germination with me. But I already told you it's a weird sermon, so I feel like you could have walked out then. Uh, Rochelle walked into the kitchen midweek and I could have started a countdown. Three, two, one. What do you have going on in here? What she had found was a jelly jar with eight slightly damp pinto beans in it. The jar was covered with cheesecloth and the whole thing was turned upside down inside of a bowl. It looked like maybe I had sold our only cow hoping to climb into the land of the giants, but I just answered, it's for the sermon. And that was somehow enough for her. <laughs> 
I wanted to see what I already knew to be true, that it's there, that plant waiting in the seed. It's one of the three main parts, the embryo is the plant, and the endosperm feeds it, and then the testa, the seed coat, covers it all up and protects it until the conditions are right. There are other parts, of course, I know you were gonna say them if I didn't, like the helium, which is the black-eyed part of a black-eyed pea. It's a little scar on every seed that marks the place where it was attached to its parent. Basically a little bean belly button, and it's not gonna factor that much into this sermon, but it was too cute to kind of leave it out. And at the base of that helium is the micropile, this tiny hole, a chink in the armor of the seed, just big enough to let water in, which is how germination happens, how the transformation begins the process by which a seed moves from a state of dormancy to become this living, growing plant. The way it looks, Paul is saying, for a spirit to come to life, to listen to the sound of the genuine and begin. It starts with that hole, that opening, that openness. And a little water gets in, and the seed sends out this tiny white shoot called the radical the bravest part of the plant, dipping a toe into the world, it will become the taproot that will feed it and help it grow. And if the radical likes what it finds, then the transformation continues and the seed coat swells and breaks open and the embryo unfurls and the whole thing becomes something new and also what it always was, the sound of the genuine waiting within. I thought it would take a lot longer, soaking those beans overnight and then leaving them upside down against the cheesecloth. I thought it would take days if it happened at all. Those pintos had sat on our shelf for weeks and probably on a grocery store shelf for weeks before. They were lifeless as rocks when I plumped them into the water overnight and they only looked like bigger rocks when I drained them at breakfast. But by lunch, six of the eight had the little white tongues sticking out of their micropiles, dipping those toes in the world. And day by day, they grew until finally the shells cracked open and they started to become this new thing, or they started to become the thing that they always were, the thing that waited in promise for the conditions to be right. That's how Paul says it is for us seeds created, as we say in our baptism liturgy, with all that we need to live and grow. We seeds who carry the scars of our past, but also the openings to our possible future. We seeds who may be born protective, but who find life in breaking open, in stretching out, in unfurling from every cramped box into which we are born. We seeds who wait cautiously craving water and soil and light holding on until the conditions are right, until we find safe space and we are ready, until we make safe space by telling the truth about life and about one another, even if we already know it. And then it can happen fast. This is the end of a weird sermon. Preaching to the choir, I know, to say that each of you is beloved by God, just as you are and as you may become. 
stating the obvious that within you there has always been a promise, a gift of something beautiful that the world needs and hopes that you will share. A truth clear and undeniable that waits to be spoken. There's no problem here unless we take it for granted. There's no question except will you say it clearly with your whole life? 